this week on the Backtable podcast. One of the goals we have is to look at the financial impact on our patients. I think that's extremely important. And we've had data from the radial to coronary. Dr. Amin has done nice work publishing that over 2017, 18, I think 2021, if I'm not mistaken, from the radial to coronary world. And hopefully we can have enough volume in the radial to peripheral in the next couple of years that we can pull similar data and show the financial impact on our patient and our healthcare system and maybe the length of stay and same-day discharge, which can push the needle to have more people adopting this technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. How often do you hear about mic drop innovations in radial to peripheral equipment? Here's one. The Sublime Radio Access Platform from Sermotics offers 250 centimeter rapid exchange balloon catheters. That's long enough to reach from the wrist to and through the pedal loop. And their unmatched deliverability ensures they get there. Ready for another mic drop? Sublime guide sheaths are available in lengths up to 150 centimeters in both six and five French platforms. The Sublime portfolio even includes high-performance support catheters in lengths up to 200 centimeters. Getting the picture? The Sublime radio access platform is engineered to make wrist-to-foot access not only possible, but practical. Don't just think radio to peripheral, think wrist-to-foot with the Sublime radio access platform. Visit sublimeradio.com to learn more. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman Crossing Catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs. The Spex LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the Spex shapeable support catheter. And the new line of core catheters that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Now, back to the show. Today, we got another great episode lined up. We're going to be discussing the status of radial to peripheral, also known as R2P, and the current era of endovascular therapy and experiences in adopting this technology with Sam Safo. Sam comes from Baylor Heart Hospital in Plano, Texas. We've covered this topic previously on a few episodes. This will be our first with a cardiologist. We've covered it with Rami Tedros, vascular surgeon at Sinai. That was episode 342, if you guys want to check that out. And then you can go way back to episodes 148 with Blake Parsons. We were talking about radial versus femoral for prostate arteriomization. And then episode 30 with Aaron Fishman, getting back to like the basics. And that was four years ago. So it's a little bit dated now. But either way, we're happy to have Sam come on and give sort of an update in this space. Welcome to the show, Sam. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about a very exciting field. I mean, radial to peripheral is one of my passion. And I think it's a, it's a very exciting topic to me, at least. So hopefully we can give it justice and be able to cover it in the next uh, 45 minutes. Yeah, there's definitely some controversy to it, which is always a good, you know, those are always good topics to discuss. First off, we always like to start, just give us a quick intro, where you trained, where you're at, and what your practice looks like. Well, I'm an interventional cardiologist by training. I did my medicine at Indiana University, then my general cardiology at University of Louisville, and I finished my interventional cardiology training at Brown University up in Rhode Island. Right after graduation, I got my first job where I am right now at Baylor Scott White, the heart hospital, 
Plano, which is located in Dallas, Texas. And I've been here for almost nine years. Great. And we've had actually some of your colleagues on the show. I know, you know, I think you know this. I worked out of Baylor periodically with the TRA group for the last 10 years. And so Mazen Fote, I know you've probably run into him fairly often. He's <laughs> a good friend of mine. We were, he actually moved to our hospital almost less than a year ago. And he's one of our close friend and colleague from the vascular surgery field. We work together a lot. Yeah, he's fantastic. And then I don't know, do you know Franklin Yao? I sure do. Yeah, Franklin, more in the OBL space, but I know he covers Baylor as well. I always like talking to those guys when I'm in town. So let's jump into in terms of how and when did you start incorporating radial peripheral more into your, because obviously cardiologists, you guys do radial from training on and for coronary interventions, but just tell us about how it became incorporated into your PAD slash CLI practice. Oh, definitely. So radial to peripheral is in its infancy at this point. And the reason that is because we didn't have equipment to allow us to do radial to peripheral intervention until very recent, maybe the last three and a half years or so. And the main equipment that we required that we didn't have before is the sheath. So as you know, we've used a brachial artery before, we've used an axillary artery before, and this is an alternative to femoral, but the issue with those, the rate of complication is pretty high. So we tried to avoid using those alternative accesses. Three and a half years ago or so, multiple companies came out with a long radial to peripheral sheet that basically is uh, allowing us to tackle those complex cases. And um, we started with simple cases just to try it out as like every other technology we try. And we just liked it. The patient likes it. And slowly we kind of progressed to more complex cases. And so far in my practice right now, I would say 70 to 80% of my cases are radial to peripheral unless the patient is part of a trial that requires femoral access. But that's how we adopted it. And we're seeing an improvement of the equipment. And initially we used to do simple iliac, simple SFA, and slowly progress to more complex cases. So when you say simple iliac, simple SFA, are you mostly just stenoses or are you doing CTOs via radio as well? So initially, when I say simple, it means someone has an 80 to 90% lesion that, you know, balloon angioplasty, maybe a stent. We start tackling complex ones uh, over the last two and a half years, including CTOs. So even with SFA CTOs or LEX CTOs, we still go radial first. The only trick what we do in those kind of cases is we prepare epsilateral pedal on all those patients as an alternative access if we're not able to cross from the radial. And maybe we have to use pedal as a conjunction access maybe 15, 20% of the time, which is very similar to what we do for the femoral. We like to prepare pedal access for the femoral as well, just to give us another option. Yeah, though I, I imagine it'd be difficult to floss. Or is there even a wire long enough to floss from pedal to radial? The longest wire we have is a 400 wire. It's a glide wire or 3.5. It's not about flossing. It's more you can access from the pedal, cross the lesion, and then after you balloon it, you'll be able to cross everything from the top. I see. I gotcha. You can snare and pull the wire down. There's a different technique to approach it, but the pedal more of, you know, alternative, so you don't have to stop the case and bring the patient back. So it's expedite the case. So we prepare the pedal ahead of time, nothing harder than halfway in the case after you spend an hour and a half to ask your staff to prep a pedal access. It just, it's a hassle. So we do it from the beginning. So it's more so you can tackle more in, in one setting, not have to bring them back, so forth. Correct. And that's the beauty of uh, radial access. You know, one of the things that we've done early on 
is sometimes we've treated not only multi-level, but also bilateral lesions. So if someone has a bilateral SFA lesion that's very simple, in the femoral world, you have to bring them back. That's the only option you have. Or in the radial world, you can easily tackle both of them in the same setting. And this way, the patient, you save the patient another trip to the hospital and another cost. Yeah. Well, along the same lines, what I wanted to ask you was, first off, is what are some of the training requirements? I mean, let, let's say you have somebody who comes, joins your practice and uh, didn't do a lot of radial to peripheral. How did those individuals get trained up? And this is advice for the audience as well, who may want to, whether they're a vascular surgeon, IR, invertebrate cardiologist. What does that training look like and how long does it take to get those workflows down and master the technique? Yeah, it's a really good question. For interventional cardiologists, nowadays, it's a standard of care for interventional cardiologists to do a radial to coronary. So you kind of already achieved the hurdle of training someone to get a radial access. For teaching and interventional cardiologists, you have almost 50% of the jobs already taken care of. So the only other things you have to talk about is you know, what catheter options you have, what wire option you have, should you go right radial versus left radial. So what we do is around the first maybe five cases or so, we kind of suggest to have a more of a proctoring technique, someone to come in. And so for our institution, we have two operators doing the first five cases to proctor the new operator and the skills and talk about it. And we also recommend maybe try the simplest cases first. I would not try a CTO first. And also one of the things we recommend is try to do a left radial axis for the first five cases. Again, because that's a much simpler approach and you don't have to tackle the aortic arch. Personally, I do 98% of my cases as right radial, just more convenient to the staff, more convenient for the table sitting. If we're talking about someone who does not have the experience with the radial axis, there are a lot of courses, a lot of companies that sponsor courses. Our hospital is a site for multiple courses for radial intervention, mainly for the coronary, where we spend some time to teach how to get access for the radial access. And I think it's reasonable for the first 10 to 15 cases to use ultrasound on all those accesses. It gives you a lot of information that can help you tackle the procedure much smoother. Figure out the size of the vessel. Are you going to go five French sheets versus six French sheets? Do you need to go radial versus ulnar? Do you have to abort the case because basically the radial is occluded and you don't want to stick a ulnar? Do you have to switch to the left side? So I think getting an ultrasound-guided access for the first 15 cases is a very reasonable, and this is just a, just a number. It's, there's no really data to tell you which way. There's data for the radial to coronary. You know, they tell you in the radial to coronary that to do the first 100 cases as diagnostic cases before you tackle an intervention. There is a strong data in the cardiology world about the radial to coronary. So I think we're learning from the radial to coronary how to build a successful radial to peripheral with, of course, some tweaking because it's a little bit different approaches. Yeah, I mean, for IRs that are getting trained nowadays, and this wasn't the case when I was, you know, in training 10 years ago, but nowadays it sounds like radial is very much a part of the training, especially for fibroid immunizations for women. And sometimes a lot of programs will train prostate uh, organizations and then even liver interventions like Y90 via radio access. And so you're seeing more of it included in the training for IRs for these other more embolization cases, but not so much for the peripheral. It's still, I think when we hear about it, it's coming from big centers like Sinai and then from the cardiology space. And so I think a lot of people are really interested to learn more about it. 
as you were mentioning, the main limitation really was like the tools, right, that are available. And it sounds like more and more developments coming out. Uh, I did want to ask you, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, was talk a little bit about patient selection. Before going in for a radial case, you said 98% of the time you're going right. But what's sort of your checklist to make sure that the right radial is the appropriate approach? Yeah. So I would say initially the, the ultrasound guided radial axis is important because the ultrasound will give you an idea on the sizing of the vessel. If it's really small radial artery in a certain patient population, I think you may not be able to comfortably and painlessly advance the sheet. That's not very common now, especially with the five French sheet that we have available. I've had cases where a six French sheet did not work, but the five French just very smoothly crossed without any issue. So from an intervention perspective, it's very similar to all other interventions. You know, a pre-procedure imaging, majority of the operators will do an ABI and an ultrasound. I personally like doing a CTA if the creatinine allow, the kidney function allow, because it helped me figure out the complexity of the case. I like to know if it's a CTO ahead of time. I need to know if it's a multi-level ahead of time to help me prepare for radial pedal versus just radial alone. And sometimes you have to do radial with contralateral femoral if, you have, if you're talking about an aortic occlusion or bilateral iliac occlusion. But again, we'll go back to the same concept. I think ultrasound is crucial. We don't check Allen tests on this patient. From the cardiology world, we learned that's really not recommended in every single patient. Or the barbo. Oh, the barbo. barbo. We don't do it routinely at all. We apply what we learn from the cardiology world to uh, what we're doing now in the peripheral world. But yeah, ultrasound, I think early on it's helpful. Yeah, that's definitely key, I think. What's the conversation like with the patients? I, what I've heard at some, especially in like, OBLs where they do, a, you know, a lot of these PAD patients, CLI patients are coming back for multiple treatments, is they'll get treated femoral and then they'll come in for a, a radial case and then they'll say, wait, wait, why are we going femoral again? Like, I really loved the radial approach. What's been the, the response like from your patients? I imagine it's probably similar. Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, again, we learn it the hard, we learn it from coronary. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many papers talking about patient satisfaction there are a lot of operators in the corner world who build their own practice based on just a radial approach, especially now, depends on the state you live in, you know, BMI being high and growing access complication uh, is co- correlate one-to-one with the patient size. And, but patient satisfaction, patient loves getting up, patient really quickly, patient loves to go home the same day. Nobody really liked to have anybody pushing on their groin. And so from a radial to peripheral has been the same trend, you know. Did I have a patient who had to go back femoral for a different procedure? Sure, sure I did. But, and I think always the patient asked me, hey, can you just do it radial? And for example, if I have someone who required a carotid stent and later on, the carotid intervention via radial is very limited. So we still go groin. And those patients asked me if there's a possibility for them to get it from a radial axis. No patient liked to stay overnight. Every patient want to sleep in their own bed. Uh, and I think the radial axis allow you to do that with the, with the safety margin. Yeah, that's generally like, and the same thing with, you know, the fibrinomalization I mentioned, the prostate. I mean, hands down, it seems like patients prefer the radial unless they had some sort of complication. And we'll talk about potential complications later in the show. But overall, it, the data seems to show that it, it is safe. And like you said, if, as long as you're planning ahead of time, you're ultrasounding the radial, making sure it's appropriate size to help kind of prevent any possible 
issues for that patient. There is hesitation out there, and we were talking about this before we started, from docs who say that going femoral is still is now better because you have better closure devices. Even in the case of a hostile groin, there's docs that say going pedal is superior. But then you have even Sabine mentioned the fact that pedal can cause injury to that outflow vessel when you're going that that way. Anything that to talk about, like, you know, to kind of push back on that hesitation or at least educate people who say, oh, no, radial's not worth it. Yeah, I think you're going to have a, a three categories of operators. You're going to have someone who has been doing femoral for the last 25 years. And we've had those also when we try to push for adaptation for radials coronary and they will never change. And, and that's OK. I mean, they build the practice. They have the experience. But the statement that closure devices will lower risk of bleeding, we know that's false from many, many trials. The only thing that the closure devices in the coronary world has shown is actually shorter length of stay and patient satisfaction. But complication rate, there was no significant difference, a statistically significant difference. And those are the cases where when it's a hostile groin, it's the case that where you do not want to stick that groin. That's the one that you start, you're always worried about those patients, even when everything goes well, the next six hours, you know, it's crucial because complication can still happen. Pedal is a great pathway. I think pedal is a great alternative access. There's a, issues with the pedal. I think if you're using a pedal as a conjecture, you know, a, another pathway to help you to across a complicated case, I think that's very reasonable. But you like one thing, and that thing is very important. You like the ability of taking good imaging because you're crossing through the blockage. So your catheter, when you cross, it, you're still blind. I mean, you, you're passing it through calcium. You're hoping that you're in the right place. The injury for the distal vessel can happen. Uh, of course, if you have a bleed in the in the calf area, you can have a compartment syndrome. But again, this is a complication that there's a way around it. You know, there's a protocol how to manage the pedal axis. Majority of the operators who use a pedal axis, they don't even put a sheet in. They use a micro micro needle, put a wire manipulated, maybe they put it sheetless for French catheter. So your access is very small and a lot of people don't even put a closure devices there. They just put a manual pressure. I think pedal is a great option. We don't do it as a first option in our institution, but we use it as conjunction to others. We talk at a radial, I think what you asked about the patient, some of the patient asked you, like, so you're going to go all the way from my wrist all the way to my knee. And we're like, to them, this is like, you're taking the long route in, right? down there. But in reality, the moment you have your sheet delivered to, usually we landed in the external iliac or the common iliac, your procedure is absolutely exactly the same as you're doing it from the femoral. Up and over, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like up and how many times you've had to do up and over and it's a very sharp angle or very calcifier or you have cases where you really don't have that leisure. Like if someone has an aortic bifem bypass, patient had an EVAR, two stents in the iliac, common iliac extending to the aorta, you have no other option except pedal or from the arm. So the first group will tell you, there's no way, I'm not changing. I'm gonna do common femoral, 100%. I'll struggle through those arches, but I will do it. The second is someone who will learn some radial to help them tackle more complex cases. much easier to cross an occluded aorta and iliac from the radial than from the, from the femoral. And I think people will adopt it. And then the third group is some of the doctors you talk to are pushing towards radial first and see maybe 80%, 70% will be radial and the rest will be femoral or alternative axis. So I think it's just a way of trying it. I think having a premature opinion about the radial without 
putting your hand on the devices, having the right device, it's just not appropriate. I have something called the rule of four. It's know your staff, know yourself, know your patient, and more importantly, know your equipment. If you don't have the right equipment, don't do radial. You're just going to be struggling for no good reason. I like that. I like that rule of four. Let's talk about the limitations, right? You mentioned you know, a few things. What is the equipment that you have that is essential, right? So we can talk about wire lengths, uh, sheath lengths, sheath sizes, French size. And then we can talk a little bit about what stents are available to place via radial and then kind of pushability when with CTOs. Yeah. So there are three companies who are really dedicated for radial in the United States who provide us with a long sheath. So the, the three companies are Terumo, Cordis, and Sormotic, and they all have a six French long sheet ranging between 85 to 150, depends on the company. The only company that has a five French sheet is Sormotic, which is very helpful in small patient with a small radial access. So having the sheet are extremely important. You don't have to have all the sheet, but I would recommend having different ver- variety of lengths. For example, if we're doing an, uh, a, a subclavian intervention, we like the 85 sheet. If we're doing an iliac, we like the 105. And the majority of the cases for common femoral all the way down, we do the 119 or 120. And of course, in rare cases, we use the very long 149 and 150. Microcatheter is a limitation. You know, the only really microcatheter that we have right now is available that's longer than 150. It's a 200 Viper microcatheter, which is not the greatest catheter. Uh, all the companies that I mentioned are working on microcatheter. I think the closest company to providing us with those microcatheters will be Stormotic. They have a 200 uh, microcatheter on 014, 018, and 035 profile, which very helpful crossing, you know, complicated cases, complex lesions. From a wires perspective, you really, in the world of radial to peripheral, the only reason you will need a long wire, two option, one, if you need to do a thorectomy, and that means, you know, Diamondback CSI thorectomy that comes in a 180 and a 200 shaft. Uh, and for that, there's a 475 Viper wire that you can put all the way down and use it. And actually, it's pretty long and very helpful. And we use it for a lot of our cases. And the second thing is, if you're not doing a draconic balloon. So... The only company that has a 200 shaft draconian balloon is Medtronic. And I think that came out maybe a year ago, which really changed the way personally I approached radial to peripheral. So initially you told me what limitation. I would say the first year and a half to two years, if I have a young patient with an SFA lesion, I really don't want to put a stent in there and I really want to do a draconian balloon. So I used to go femoral in those patients or pedal just because I was limited on the drug coating balloon options we have. Since Medtronic brought out the uh, 200 shaft, uh, those patients can easily be treated from the radial. You do you have all the balloons you want and now with the drug coating balloon. The balloons and the, and the stent for the radial are all rapid exchange. So you really don't need a long wire. So the reason for the long wire is the drug coating balloon and the atherectomy option we have available now. And in the future, we're going to have the laser coming soon, very, very soon, actually, from two different companies. But yeah, if you're doing a very simple cases like Elia case or SFA case, your regular wire will be sufficient as long as you're using a dedicated radial to peripheral balloon instant. It sounds like you're not doing a whole lot of below the knee tibial from radial just because of the lack of tools. Yes and no. Lack of tools is important, but we are part of 
many below the knee trials. So for those patients, I go femoral because I'm enrolling them in the trials. But if I have a patient, for example, I'm doing an SFA intervention and I have a simple AT that I need to do at the same time, I, I, I can do that from a radial axis. There are smaller balloons with still 200 shaft that they will reach. You asked me about what consideration to think about. I think patient height is extremely important. And I think if the patient is taller than 6'1", I think you have to consider going from the left radial to gain a 10, 15 centimeter that can help you getting further down to below the knee if you need to. Do you ever go higher up on the radial? You can. I mean, going higher higher on the radial will give you a centimeter or two. And then you take the risk of going very deep. And then the whole purpose of having less side complication goes away because now you're sticking really high. Yeah. Then it's as bad as a brachial for the most part. Correct. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the complexity of the cases, as I said, you really have to have the right equipment. You don't have to have all the equipment. You can cho- pick and choose what you wanted. But I think as minimum, you should have a, a long sheet, at least the 120 or 119 or 110, something that can get you in the iliac. You will need to have a long wire just as, as a backup, which I think the only two we have is an 035 glide wire and the 014 Viper wire, 475. And you should have a balloon and stand that's dedicated to, to radial. And those are the r- rapid exchange. So you asked me about crossing complex lesion. Honestly, with the moment you put your sheet all the way close to the common femoral, you have the same crossability. The pushability doesn't really change. Again, the challenge become if you try to cross a long CTO all the way from the proximal SFA to the popliteal and your microcatheter, you don't have one that's longer than 150, then you may lose options. And I think that's where the pedal radial axis approach come handy. Okay. How often are, would you say in your cases, are you are having to go pedal? You say you prep it every time, but you know, is it 10, 15% where you're like, okay, let's just get access from below? 10 to 15, 10 to 15, but I become less and less uh, recently with just the more and more cases we're doing. We're kind of learning. Just get more comfortable. Get more comfortable doing it, what we need to do. Again, there's still limitation. We can talk about it later on the show, but you know, I think it's not wrong to get the pedal axis prepped and this way you give yourself another option. Yeah. Just real quick, before I forget, because you were talking a little bit about your technique, is anything out of the ordinary for your radial cocktail or is it pretty? No, it's standard. The, what, what I do is, the one thing I do that may be different, our cocktail is 400 of nitro and five of verapamil. But what I usually do, I will give... I access with a short sheet, which we have through sheet, the slender sheet. And then I give, after I get access there, I give half the cocktail. I advance my catheter and then my wire. And just before I switch to the long sheet, I give another half of the cocktail. Again, this is just my own technique. It just feels that when you're manipulating with the micro, with the catheter, we usually use the GR4 125.5 French. If you have any spasm, you want to make sure that relief before you put your long sheet. Yeah. And for the novice radial access docs learning this out there, what do you do with spasm? I mean, what's your go-to? What's like uh, your first steps? Just nitro first and then, but anything anything else that you do? Yeah. I, I think anybody who has done radial for the last 10 years or so, remember the old sheet, the old trumo sheet. Those were, those, were the, the man, those are the ones that we had an issue with. Since we have the pretty slick sheet and 
I really rarely have a spasm, but what we usually do with the protocol is, you know, more, more vasodilator and more sedation. So you just make sure your patient is very sedated, very comfortable. We don't put patient under general anesthesia. I mean, I can't think of one patient over the last five years or six years I've done under general anesthesia, but you just make sure the patient, you're generous with your sedation. One thing, one trick I learned from another operator who, uh, who does a lot of radial to peripheral, he stopped patient bl- blood pressure medication, hypertensive medi- antihypertensive medication the day of the procedure to give him some room to give more sedation, which I think is very, very smart. And I think, you know, with the, with the radial axis, you're now really worried about a complication because your blood pressure is too high comparing to femoral axis when you always want the blood pressure to be within normal, when you pull the sheath out, so you don't have a bleed. So that helps you giving you some room. So a lot of sedation is important. Yeah. You know, I was going to have you walk through a typical radio approach, but you pretty much already did in terms of access. You talked about catheter and wires that you typically at least have available and use. I, I did want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about like the need for research and equipment advancement. We, if you had, I guess if a company was going to come out with something new, you know, next week, what is that piece of equipment that you really can't wait? Yeah, no, definitely. So let me back up just a little bit. I think I can talk step by step because there's certain steps that we didn't mention that I think is crucial. I think number one, knowing if you're going to go right radial versus left radial and the setup from the left radial, I would recommend be moving everything to the left side of the bed. It's just more convenient and more comfortable for the operators. But your staff needs to be familiar with it and comfortable with it, and you should be comfortable with it as well. So the way we do it step by step, we get our sheet, we get our six French short sheet access. We proceed with the table regular J wire, baby J wire over a GR4. 125 five French. Again, that's my preference, and I'll tell you why my preference. One of our other operators, he he liked the vert, the 125 vert, and some operators like a pigtail. And I think if you're going from the left radial, pigtail should be fine. From the right radial, I think the GR4 allow you to manipulate to cross the, the arch much easier. And crossing the arch, majority of the time, more than 90%, you'll be able to cross it with the J-wire and the GR4. But sometimes you have to use either a Benson, a soft tip wire, that can help go if you are talking about a type three arch or glide wire for that, just that step. I really don't recommend using a glide wire in the arm till you get to the passing the brachiocephalic. When you go all the way down, I would, again, just be careful if you end up being with the Benson or the glide wire, when you get to the abdomen, sometimes those wire can go to the, you know, celiac or the SMA or the renal. So just be careful with that. And then we go to either I tried to go to the, the side of the leg that I'm not intervening on that day. Let's say I'm intervening on the left side. I'll go to the right side first. I park my catheter in the common iliac or the external iliac. I take my selective pictures. Uh, I usually do DSA selective pictures. I don't do a runoff. And then when we decide, and then we flip it to the other side where, I'm, where I think I'm going to be intervening, I identify the blockage. Then I switch to a stiff wire. I don't recommend switching to short the catheter to a long sheet over a glide wire. I don't recommend it going over glide advantage. I think it's more it's safer to pass it through either an amplat or a supercore, an 035 long wire. Then you advance your sheet. The other thing with the sheet is you make sure you, you have a wet 4x4 on because it needs to be activated. And I'll just keep pushing it and we'll deliver. I think the biggest mistake people make is they pause halfway and then the patient arm warm up, and then it may give you a little bit of resistance. If you just continue pushing through, it will go in very easily. You park it, 
in the common or the external iliac, and then you proceed with the intervention. I think just a step-by-step, again, just different technique. Um, oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about research. We're early on. I mean, we're really in the infancy of radial to peripheral. We're early, early on in the field. That's why it's very exciting. I think we have stent options from two companies. We have balloon options from multiple companies. We have sheath options from multiple companies. So I think we're good there. The only thing the stent-wise, and those are, you asked me early on, when would I go femoral? If I'm fixing a common iliac that's larger than, let's say, eight or nine millimeter, or external iliac that's larger than that, we're limited on options from the radial. So you're going to have to go femoral. If I'm required to use any seven French or eight French sheet, then I would say I have to go femoral. So what the companies need to invest in uh, lowering the profile of those stents and giving us bigger options, and they are working on it. Lithotripsy is a really big limitation right now because we love lithotripsy in the peripheral. The data from Disrupt PAD is just amazing. The safety profile is so good. So we like using uh, lithotripsy in many areas of the peripheral. And I think having a long 200 shaft lithotripsy will help us tackle more. I think more atherectomy devices on a long shaft is important. And I think some companies are working on the laser now. Wires, we don't have a dedicated radial wires. We're using wires that were intended for other reasons and we're using them now. And I, I think the microcatheters are important. If you want to start tackling complicated CTO lesions, I think having microcatheters with different profiles are important. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you um, for doing the walkthrough. And also, you mentioned when we were emailing before about this prospective study that was published in JSCAI just three weeks ago. Can you tell us about the importance of that? Yeah, I mean, this is, I would call it a landmark study. It's going to be a landmark study in the, in the radial to peripheral. Dr. Castro and her colleagues and colleagues from eight different institutions came together early on when the, we had the radial to peripheral sheet available in 2020. And they looked at 120 patients, uh, I think 224 lesions, and they looked at the data, looked at the same length, say, the rate of switching from radial to peripheral the success of the procedure without requiring either changing a plan or, or accessing the femoral. And what they showed is there's a very safe and effective way of tackling patients. But I think, you know, the trial is very important because we're going to use this trial to build on more and more trials of the future. It showed that it's safe and effective in patient, a certain patient. Of course, it was not all comers. I think that's a limitation of the paper. But again, this is a first perspective multi-center trial. So it's expected to be selective. And I think it will help us at least showing that if you want to adopt this technology, it is possible. And there's an equipment that's possible. And again, I will say the enrollment was between 2020 and 2021. Many, many new equipment has, has came to the market over the last two years. So I think we have more equipment now. So yeah, it's an important trial looking for more and more trial to come that can shed the light on the radial to peripheral world. Yeah. And I want to give you some time to show some cases that I know you brought, but just real quick before we jump into those, two things. One is complications to avoid and bailout strategies in case something bad does happen. Yeah, definitely. So complication rate, we don't see any complication uh, from the radial to peripheral that different than what we see from the radial to coronary regarding the site. So the number 
three things that people are worried about is side bleed, which it can happen. And I think it's very manageable. And that can, if you don't treat it correctly, that end up with a sort of aneurysm or hematoma, but that's extremely rare. The second is, uh, you know, spasm leading to a radial artery occlusion. The radial artery occlusion from the coronary site, from the coronary trials, was less than 3%. Our hospital, one of my colleagues and partners, has published one of the best prospective trials to compare distal radial to a traditional radial. It's called the DIPRA trial, D-I-P-R-A trial. And uh, that trial actually showed there's no difference. And it's really less than 1% radial artery occlusion, which is very important to show us that now with the right technique and with the right medication, I think you will have less and less complication. The other complication is a stroke rate. I think that's one of the biggest things people are worried about. The stroke, the stroke rate in the prospective trials was, I think, one patient, if I'm not mistaken. But I will show you our hospital data that we published recently at TCT 2023. And we, we had one patient with a stroke that was included. And that patient, actually, the stroke happened 28 days after the procedure. But still, we're doing a 30 days complication and that's still counted. So we really don't, I think we, with the right equipment and not using a glide wire to cross a brachiocephalic, making sure you're very cautious and make sure you have the right equipment. I think the stroke rate is not as high as people are concerned. From a peripheral intervention perspective, I mean, complication can happen no matter what axis you're getting. Vessel can rupture, dissection can happen. The biggest debate that I've heard, and, and I love that debate because I think I'm on the right side of the debate, is <laughs> what happened if you have an iliac artery rupture. And that's the, the worst nightmare for a peripheral interventionist, having an iliac rupture. I mean, this is really a life-threatening situation. And the way I look at it is that if you're going at epsilateral to fix a common iliac and you have a, an iliac rupture or bleed, what you do is you inflate a balloon, tamponade it from the femoral, try to hope to get the other axis side, go up and over, and try to put a cover stent. From the, the same side, which you have to upgrade to eight French, which in the experience that I've seen, you will lose some blood because how fast you have to work. The argument from the radial, let's say you're fixing an iliac and you have a rupture. The easiest thing you can do is just inflate a balloon. You inflate a balloon that you already have there. You have a complete tamponade from the radial. Then you have the time to access the epsilateral groin access, eight French, you know, whatever site you need. And then you put a self-expanding stent. So my argument is actually it's safer to go from the radial from a complication perspective. Because when you're doing a tamponading of the bleed, you're from the top, you really have better control of it, and you have all the time to access the femoral for cover stent. Yeah, I, I think there's a limitation, but you know, would I tackle a very 100% occluded iliac from the radial? All the time. But would I yeah. s- select to select cases where I'm gonna have to use, for example, the IVL L6, nine or 10 or 12? I have to go femoral because any seven French right. or eight French. So I think saying just do all of your cases radial, I think that's not the right thing to do. But right. safety-wise, I think it's pretty safe. Key is patient selection. And then, you know, you explained some bailout techniques, which is perfect. Like I said, I want to give you a chance to show some cases real quick, just post-procedure care, you know, in terms of radio access, just to just kind of complete the whole A to Z on radio access. Can you just talk through how long they were in the band and so forth? Yeah, the post-care does not really change comparing to radial to coronary. So the one thing I would recommend, when you are taking the long radial sheet out, I would recommend doing it after you put the dilator back and over a stiff wire. 
And I think just because if you try to pull it out without the dilator, without the wire, if you, there's a spasm or you're going through a tortuosity, that catheter may extend and you will have a lot of resistance, which by default, you're damaging the, the radial artery. So having the dilator in and a stiff wire, and then we just use any band you need to use. You use a TR band, you use a VAS band or any other company. And we have the same protocol. It's, this is considered an intervention. So it depends on the hospital. Some hospital, they, they keep it inflated for two hours, three hours or four hours, depends on your protocol to ensure hemostasis and you deflate that band slowly and then patient go home the same day. But there's really nothing special post-care after, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really, there's no difference. If there's a complication from the early access, then that's, you manage it the same way you manage any other radial access. Yeah, but they tend to be happy, I'm sure, walking out the door. Definitely. <laughs> All right, well, perfect. I think that you covered a lot and, and I appreciate it. And it's very succinct. Sam, thank you so much for sharing. That was fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh, hopefully this isn't the last. You, it's clearly got a lot, a lot of uh, knowledge to share. So hopefully we can bring you back on to, to talk through some more cases. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. And again, we call it the radial movement. So hopefully we can be uh, taking the first steps and help others to adopt it and uh, improve the technology we have. Well, especially as the industry advances, which as you mentioned, we, we're going to be see some new stuff down the pipeline. So we could probably even have this same conversation two years from now and it's completely different, you know? One of the goals we have is to look at the financial impact on our patients. I think that's extremely important. And we've had data from the radial to coronary. Dr. Amin has done nice work publishing that over 2017, 18, I think 2021, if I'm not mistaken, from the radial to coronary world. And hopefully we can have enough volume in the radial to peripheral in the next couple of years that we can pull similar data and show the financial impact on our patient or our healthcare system and maybe the length to stay and same day discharge, which can push the needle to have more people adopting this technology. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, Josh Spencer, design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, social media and PR by Ann Dang, Manisha Naganathanahali, and Manbir Singh Sabli. Administrative support provided by Jim Lee Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 